Hello everybody, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, a couple of leagues already back underway in Europe for the 2021-22 season. Uh, while the Olympics have been popping off in Tokyo with both the men's and women's games throwing up some really big scorelines, uh, we've had back-to-back hat-tricks from Zambia's Barbara Banda in the women's, uh, Sylvain Ripoll in France stinking out the place in the men's, which regular listeners of the Scouted Patreon pod will know uh, was to be somewhat expected. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, it's It's one of those top flights across Europe that is already underway. Uh, That's our topic of discussion. Uh, And joining me to talk all about some of the really interesting moves and and the happenings in the Austrian Bundesliga over the summer. Uh, It couldn't really be anyone else, could it? Uh, Lee Wingate from the excellent The Other Bundesliga team is here. Um, Lee, this must be the hat trick on the Scouted Pod now. How, How are you doing? Yeah, I think it's been a, a few appearances. So thanks for having me back on again. That must mean I didn't disgrace myself too much the first one or two times. But yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, looking forward to to getting into the the the, the meat and drink of the. The, the moves that have taken place because obviously there's been a few players from the Austrian Bundesliga come over to the Premier League uh, which I think is of you know particular interest to anybody who hasn't watched the likes of Inokumwepu or, or Patsendaka before um, but there's also been some interesting incomings to teams in the Austrian Bundesliga as well and I think from for those of us who who are you know inclined to to, to enjoy youth football and, and young players that is, uh, it's, it's definitely a league which always seems to throw up some interesting players at interesting clubs. Um, so, so Lee, fill us in sort of on the uh, the end of the the 2020-21 season. Of course, Red Bull Salzburg, unsurprisingly, were were crowned champions once again. But there's been a bit of managerial turnover there with, with Jesse Marsh leaving. Um, Matthias Giassel coming in. I've probably butchered the pronunciation there because he's very much new on the, the senior management scene. Um, but who who is the new man uh, leading Red Bull Salzburg? Well, actually, I can't tell you too much about the pronunciation just yet. I think it's Matthias Yesler, but um, I haven't actually heard it pronounced out loud yet. So um, I'm just going on the, on the assumption that's how you say it. He is uh, extremely young. Um, that tends to be a bit of a trend, as you know, with, with Salzburg, players and coaches, but they seem to be getting younger and younger all the time. So after they completed their their latest double at the end of last season, Jesse Marsh uh, moved up the Red Bull food chain to uh, LB Leipzig and uh, Jesler has come in. He's uh, he's one of these very young coaches that, that seems to, you know, to, to, to have a lot of faith from those within the Red Bull system. And that's because that's where he started uh, at Leipzig after his uh, his own playing career was cut short by by injury. So in that sense, a bit like Julian Nagelsmann's was. Um, he then moved to, to Bronby for a while to be a, an assistant and and then has come back to the, the Salzburg uh, youth system and, and more recently leafering uh, the feeder club where he was only appointed in January of this year, actually. So it's it's been a relatively short stint for him there. He almost won the league, actually only missed out on the, the second division league title by one goal to Blauweiss-Linz. Um, so he's done a, a good job so far, but this is obviously a big, big step up for him and a big, big test as well. You mentioned in there about uh, Liefering and, and obviously missing out on that title by a single goal. Obviously, Liefering playing in the, in the division below Red Bull Salzburg uh, and and are uh, a satellite club essentially of the the Red Bull network. Um, and you mentioned their Blauweiss Linz, uh, but they finished obviously as as champions uh, essentially of of the second tier, the, the Zweite Liga. 
in Austria, uh, but and with with Liefering in second. Uh, neither of those teams were promoted, though, were they? It was third place Klagenfurt who who went up. Um, the Liefering one is is pretty straightforward to understand, considering that they are essentially a team made up of FC Red Bull Salzburg's young players. So, be a bit of a conflict of interest there, to say the least, if they were in the same competition. Um, but am I right in thinking that that? Blau-Weiss-Linz are a loose affiliate of LASK, so didn't didn't apply for a Bundesliga license for that reason. It's actually a little bit different to that, but before we get stuck into that, I'll just tell you a nice little anecdote that I really enjoyed about Blau-Weiss-Linz. Um, when they did win the title on the final day of the season here, just a, a few months ago, uh, they celebrated by bringing a shopping trolley full of beer cans onto the pitch and just uh, just started drinking a few tinnies with each other, which uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, but they are they are a club that is is not actually affiliated with Lask. They're based in the same city. They've been Lask's rivals or city rivals for a number of years. But actually, uh, as tends to often be the case in the Austrian second division, they chose not to apply. I think for a license or they chose a few years ago that they were, were not infrastructurally ready. And uh, that is the reason why they couldn't go up this season. They do not fulfill the infrastructure requirements. So it's a shame, but it, it does happen more often than you'd think in Austria. Um, what actually happens is that if you don't finish in the top one or two of the, of the, uh, of the second division, then you can't be promoted automatically, which is why there was a playoff between St. Poten, who finished bottom of the Bundesliga, the top flight, and uh, and Austria Klagenfurt, who ended up going up at, at their expense, who finished third. So, um, yeah, it's not a, not a relatively uh, rare occurrence. The last playoff was only, I think, 2018. So it's happened before, but there are just a lot of teams that are not financially or infrastructurally ready to play top division football in Austria. No, that's really interesting. I, I I knew obviously I saw that I saw Lintz and I thought, oh well, surely given the the fact that I mean I know a few clubs are affiliated that I thought, oh that might must be the reason why. But no, that's quite interesting. I hadn't come across that before. Um, obviously you guys have, but yeah, I mean it's quite quite curious. I think, uh, and also with the pronunciation on on the new Salzburg manager, who I'm not going to try and pronounce his name again because I've already forgotten the correct way to say it. But um, let's get on to the players. Let's get on to some of the transfers that that have taken place over the summer um, obviously the the big one the marquee signing or rather the marquee departure from the Austrian Bundesliga uh, was Patson Dacca to Leicester City uh, roughly around a 30 million euro transfer fee which is uh, what was that 10 million more than what Erling Haaland went to Borussia Dortmund for um, you know he's he's a player who I'm incredibly incredibly fond of um, See, always seems to speak very well, very humble, very, very grateful for the opportunity to play professional football. And I think that came across in his first few um, sort of interviews as a Leicester player. Um, we're still yet to see him in a Leicester shirt in the, in the Premier League, but I think a lot of people are going to, I don't know, wake up to, to that. I mean, anybody who's listened to this podcast will probably have been waxing lyrical about him to their friends and, and family for, for the amount of times that we've mentioned him on, on the pod. But um, it's a move which I'm, I'm incredibly pleased with because I think, um, you know, he, he's somebody who, I mean, you, you'll echo this as well, he's somebody who is just fantastic on the on the break, just on the shoulder. You know, he's just got electric speed, uh, just glides over the turf almost weightlessly. Um, and you think about the, the, the clubs in the Premier League who, you know, have a striker who plays excellently on the shoulder of the last man. And the first one that springs to mind is Leicester City with, with Jamie Vardy. So, I do think it's it's an example of very effective scouting, um, and I mean they 
they've paid a pretty penny for him, but I think he'll integrate well into that group uh, at Leicester. It's not too big of a move where the expectation will be crushing. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased for him. Um, how, how did Dakar finish his time in Austria? Because, you know, it, I mean, it seems as though any time I tuned in to one of Salzburg's games, it was just goal after goal after goal. I'd say it's worth talking about the, the fees in a, a bit more detail a little bit later because Salzburg's profit margins are frankly ridiculous on some of these young players that they've scouted, developed and, and sold on. But to answer your, your question, first of all, I mean, he finished the season. I think he went through the whole season as the elite player in the division. His his early season was a little bit hampered by a hamstring injury that he I think he suffered in the Champions League and was then out for, for five or six weeks. But nonetheless, for the first time in his Austrian career, he finished the season as the division's top scorer with uh, 27 goals in 28 games. He was named the Bundesliga's player of the season. And, you know, he's often compared to Erling Holland, he was his direct replacement. And if you look at their their figures from the last two seasons while at Salzburg, they're relatively similar. You've got Erling Holland in, in 2019 to 20 on a goal every 61.25 minutes and, and Dakar on a goal every 72.29 in 2021. So Quite quite similar outputs. Obviously, Holland a little bit stronger, but but Dakar is is a great player, like you said, very grounded. Um, but in terms of his technical qualities, his pressing, his pace, his work rate, intelligence, two footed finishing, they're all tremendous strengths. And and as you say, I think that will fit in very well to to Leicester City's playing style. I just hope that he gets the minutes because at at his stage of the development, he does need to get game time. And, you know, you've got Vardy and Ian Acho uh, both uh, playing up front at the moment for Leicester City. So we do hope that he'll get chances. But yeah, we wish Patson every success in England. And uh, I think he I think he's going to make a name for himself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's done so well in Austria and he was kind of very much in, in Holland's shadow to begin with. And then sort of, I mean, while he was still posting extremely good, you know, goal per minute ratios uh, while Holland was still there, it was the fact that, you know, he as soon as he departed, it was Dakar just hoovered up he just filled the filled that chasm filled that gap with his own goals that was it 27 in 28 last year it's just phenomenal numbers especially from a player who you know missed five or six weeks of the season with a hamstring injury um the thing for me about him is that he's just it, it is athleticism you know he's 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 almost acrobatic in the penalty area sometimes you know shots that um, other players might not be able to take on because it might hit them on the thigh or it might um, it might just be too too much for them to contort themselves around. Dakar always seems to to position himself really well so that he actually can get a clean strike on things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've been I've been telling everybody everybody who listen um, that he's you know he's a one touch two touch finishing master. Um, and yeah, I think that will hopefully stand him in good stead given that the options that Leicester have this year um obviously Vardy's not quite coming to the end of his time there he's not at the I mean he's not at the peak of his powers anymore but he's still very much a, a, a fantastic option to have up front um and and you know Ianacho's end of season form uh, last year last year was was obviously a bit of a resurgence so i think they're well stocked um and and you know if 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 hypothetically you were saying Pat Sandaka was your third choice striker, then I mean, incredible, incredible depth. But um, you you were talking about uh, Red Bull Salzburg's profit margins there. And I mean, they are enormous. You've just said 
I mean, what, five, 10 minutes ago about how some clubs in the in the second tier, you know, infrastructurally, financially, they can't come up because they, well, or rather they choose not to apply for a Bundesliga license because they simply won't be able to afford it or afford the, you know, the the, the additional costs of being a, a Bundesliga club. Um, I mean, speaking of the fees, I mean, it's it's silly money, isn't it? But even sillier for, for a domestic league like, like Austria. Yeah, I think the chasm between Salzburg and the rest of the clubs in the Bundesliga and, of course, the, the other clubs in other divisions is just going to widen because of this, you know, this incredible scouting network and the way they bring players through and, and sell them for such a profit. And as you say, it might not sound like a huge amount of money when you, you compare it to the likes of the Premier League or some of uh, Austria's other, uh, sorry, some of Europe's other biggest leagues. But here in Austria, it's just a... It's just stratospheric amounts of money. Dakar himself was signed for €250,000. If he's been sold for €30 million, Euro, that's uh, 120 times what they bought for him, you know, and it's uh, it's just crazy. And it's it's been pretty much the same consistently for the last few years. It is just the Salzburg way. They made almost €30 million on, on Cater, €19 million on Mane, €12 million on Haaland, €18.2 million on Haidara, another almost 20 on Kaleta Car. And when you consider the fact that I think the biggest transfer fee that an Austrian club has ever paid, which was Salzburg, is around 11 million for the, the Swiss winger Noah Okafor. I mean, it just tells you all you need to know about, about the volumes and, and what they mean to Austrian football. So kudos for Salzburg. This business model is, is clearly working for them. And I can't really think of another club in world football, and I'm sure there must be some, so I'd be interested to hear, but I can't really at the moment, off the top of my head, think of another club that gets the same percentage profit margins consistently as Red Bull Salzburg. No, absolutely. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think either. I'm sure there probably is one, maybe at a, a in a percentage sense, at a lower level. But I mean, as consistently as, as Salzburg do it at the very top level, you know, competing in European competition, it's um yeah, it's quite staggering. Um, I'm very conscious of not making this a, an, an exclusively FC Red Bull Salzburg podcast. Uh, unfortunately, there've been a few other transfers which have definitely taken my eye. Um, we'll go on to one of those now, and that's Yusuf Demir to Barcelona or rather Barcelona B. Um, you mentioned Yusuf Demir on the first uh, scouted football or the Bundesliga crossover podcast we did. I think that was back in 2019, believe it or not. Um, and you were saying that this kid had been, you know, had been showing stuff for, for Rapid Vienna uh, and that, you know, in, in very, you know, fleeting flashes, um, he was showing that he was a very talented youngster. Did you ever envisage that Barcelona would be taking him on a season-long loan to put into their B team? I mean, I'd be lying if I said I envisaged that. We know that there have been uh, top clubs that have been interested in him for quite a while, but you hear that all the time, don't you, in headlines, or top clubs are interested in him. Um, and obviously, he is a very good player, but I was still surprised when when Barcelona um, agreed this deal. It's an interesting deal, I have to say, because you know it is a loan initially. It's a, it's a one-year loan for 500,000 euro which is still a lot for Rapid Vienna and then with a, a non-binding purchase option of 10 million so it remains to be seen whether he stays there and how it works out but he seems to have been impressing already um, and I think he's actually been included in the the first team's uh, training camp which ironically is, is coming back to Austria and they'll be playing against Red Bull Salzburg next week so we'll get to get to have another chance at, at to look at Demir and, and see him in his new surroundings. But yeah, certainly a surprising transfer, I have to say. 
yeah, definitely. It's for me so far. It's the it's the strangest transfer or, or loan of the summer um, to date. Um, I mean, just for anybody who hasn't heard of Yusuf Demir before and is now thinking, well, oh, I'm behind Barcelona. Uh, why wh- why have they decided to to, to go for him um, on in such a strange deal? Anyway, um, what is what is he like? What, what is he good at? You know, how how frequently did he play for Rapid last season? Because you know, he's still very much. I mean, he's still a teenager, isn't he? Yeah, he's 18. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that that made this deal even more surprising is that throughout last season, despite him being consistently one of Rapid's strongest performers, he was regularly used off the bench by the coach Didi Kubauer. So I think that made it a little bit more surprising because, you know, if you've got a player that's playing from the start and lighting up the league, then it, it comes as a bit bit less of a surprise when when they move to a club like Barcelona. But he, he has been mainly used off the bench. You hear comparisons to Messi for a lot of players almost constantly, but uh, it has to be said that the, the way he likes to play is in some way um, reminiscent of, of Messi in the sense that he is kind of comfortable in a, a roaming sort of number 10 role, but preferably kind of cutting in from the right and then then shooting on his left. He scored a, an absolutely wonderful goal by doing exactly that against uh, Esfal Reed in the league this year and it, it did remind me somewhat of you know that classic Messi type goal that you see his main strengths I would say are ball carrying he's got a very low center of gravity good finisher specifically with his left foot and I really like the way how he receives the ball between the lines and then turns and yeah, there's such close control such sort of mastery there that I think yeah it, it, perhaps that's where those comparisons with with Messi have have come from Obviously, he's got a long way to go in his development um, and he hasn't really racked up the kind of numbers in the Austrian Bundesliga that would turn heads. I think it's six goals and four assists in 39 matches. But, you know, I think those numbers will come. And as I say, you have to remember, he has been getting sort of 15 or 20 minute bursts at the end of games to make impressions. And and that's not always the best environment to have the, the highest numbers per game. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that um, that Barcelona have now decided to pivot their scouting towards um, replacing Lionel Messi if they can't register him. Um, but um, the, it's definitely one of the the interesting moves of the summer, um, obviously concerning Austria. Um, in terms of what it's going to impact, how or rather how it's going to impact Rapid this season. I mean, you mentioned there that the, the, the coach didn't really start him all too often. So is it necessarily going to be such a big miss? And, you know, how far would 10 million euros go if Barcelona decided that at the end of the season, if they could manage to find 10 million euros, that is, um, if they decided that, you know, they wanted to sign Demir on a, on a permanent deal? I mean, that's that's a, a massive amount of money for Rapid. They were one of the clubs that suffered the most during the coronavirus lockdowns because they have well, the biggest support of any club in Austria and, and the biggest stadium as well, the Allianz Stadion. Um, and they obviously weren't able to feel that. They really um, missed out the the gate receipts, that sort of thing. And and they don't really tend to sell players for big amounts of money either. So, you know, if they did get 10 million, it would make a, you know, a huge uh, impact for them. But but equally, if Demir then comes back and they, he's had a year away at Barcelona and they've still got a bit of money for it, then I'm, I'm sure they'd be not too displeased about that as well. So there are benefits all around in uh, f- from the transfer, I think, for them. Um, in terms of how it will affect their season, I think they will probably miss him because I think this would have been, I don't want to use the phrase breakout season, but it, it could have really been the chance where he you know, got more of a run in the team and he would have probably 
been one of their leading, you know, leading attacking players this season. So they will miss him for sure. And I think, uh, well, maybe that was evident from their opening day of the season where they, they lost 2-0 to, to Hartberg, who are a much smaller club with a, a much smaller budget. So, yeah, I'm sure he will be a miss, but there'll be, there'll be benefits from the transfer as well. It's a bit like a gap year, isn't it? Yusuf Demir going on his gap year to Barcelona. He might end up coming back to, to Rapid and he'll, he'll, he'll come back and, and have all these, these stories of, of what it was like living in, the, in, in yeah. one of Spain's biggest cities and whatnot. And, and you know, he'll bring all that, this inspiration back. But no, I, I hope he does well there. Um, I mean, it's, it's probably playing devil's advocate, but because he hasn't actually played that much professional football. But how do you envisage him potentially getting on over there? I mean, he's predominantly going to play for the B team. Like, we, we know that that's going to be the case. But, you know, we saw what... Pe- I mean, I'm not putting him on the same plane as Pedri, but we saw what Pedri did last year, where he came in from Las Palmas, hadn't had any experience of a of the top flight, uh, of the top flight uh, before, and became an absolutely integral part of that Barcelona squad. So, um, you know, it's not impossible to break into that team, but I think with the um, the options that are, that are in uh, Yusuf Demir's position, then perhaps he might be fighting an uphill battle in the first team sense. Yeah, I don't want to talk him up too much from the start, but I think, you know, I don't follow Spanish football closely, but it is quite clear, as you alluded to earlier, that with with Messi's registration, that the Barcelona are in a bit of a financial problem at the moment, to, to say the least. And I just wonder if, you know, they're not able to register everyone they want to, and they've got this young kid who impresses within the B team setup, whether that might might be a you know something that sort of accelerates or fast tracks him to the first team. They still do have a wealth of, of very good options there, but but that might be something that gives him a little bit more of a look in uh, when it comes to the first team. We'll have to see how that that unfolds. But I, I certainly think it's a very promising sign that Ronald Koeman has already taken a look at him and said, you know, that he has a great future. Um, so I think uh, things look promising. We'll just have to see how it unfolds. Yeah, it'll definitely be one to keep an eye on. Uh, and I do say that a lot on this podcast, but I, I really implore people to to maybe keep an eye on the progress of Demir while he's at Barcelona B, uh, because, you know, as as Lee says, who, who knows, you know, something might, something strange might happen. We know that Usman Dembele is is typically injury prone. So, you know, there may be a, maybe a slot opening up there. Um, moving on to the next outgoing uh, from the Austrian Bundesliga this summer. Uh, and it's another one to the Premier League. It's another one from FC Red Bull Salzburg. It's another Zambian international. Uh, Inok Mwepu signed for, for Brighton uh, in a, around a 20 million, 25 million euro uh, deal, I believe. Um, his, his last 12 months in Salzburg played as, a, as, as something of an advanced midfielder in Jesse Marsh's 4-2-2-2 formation, uh, which was a, a, a bit different from where he originally uh, played when he came into the first team there, um, where, which was, you know, obviously as a, as a more defensive-minded midfield player. Um First of all, Lee, I mean, is this another feel-good move? Is this another one where you think, obviously, it's going to make the balance sheet look quite handsome, but also, you know, you've got two players who were scouted from Zambia, from Kafue Celtics, who are now going to play in the Premier League for, you know, quite forward-thinking clubs in, in the same summer. Yeah, I think it is, you know, it really attests to what Salzburg are doing to to sell two players for, for similar fees you know, to the, to the Premier League in one summer, it shows that they are producing, you know, cl- uh, players that are renowned and, and re- highly regarded all over the world. It's going to be a big blow for Salzburg to lose both of them in, in one summer for sure. And I think, you know, we always talk about strikers because it's easy to measure when it comes to goal output and assists. Those numbers are very clear. And that's one of the reasons why Dhaka gets so much credit here in Austria. But 
you know, Mwepu is a great player. He's very clever. He does his job well. He's a hard worker for the team. Um, he's good in, in you know, a wide variety of positions. As you alluded to, you know, he, he's pri- primarily a box-to-box midfielder, but I've also seen him play in a defensive line. I've seen him play in this role further forward on the right that, that Jesse Marsh liked to put him in. And he looks comfortable more or less everywhere. Um, I really like him. He's nicknamed the computer by his teammates because of his, you know, reading of the game and his ability to sort of predict what's going to happen and, and where he needs to be positioned. So I think, you know, there's a lot of good things that the Brighton fans will be able to look forward to having having Wepu in the side. I love that little moniker, the the computer. I think that's fantastic. I think if my if my teammates came up with that, I think that's the biggest endorsement anyone could ever have come up with about anyone playing football. You know, you can talk about all these players who score hatfuls of goals, but just actually seeing everything that happens on the pitch and being lauded for it, that's just that that's for me. I'd lo- I'd love to be Enoch and Wepu. He loves it as well. He's he's always, you know, he does refer to himself as the computer now. So I think he he, you know, he sees that similarly to you. He plays up to it. I love that as well. I like that he he believes his own hype a little bit there. Uh, I saw I actually saw Brighton tweet uh, a few days after he'd been um, announced that uh, they they referred to him as the computer as well. So clearly the social media team have done their homework on him. So I quite like that as well. And and I'm quite pleased with with Brighton being the club he's landed at because again with Dakar, you know, he could have ended up at a I don't know a, a bigger a quote unquote bigger club. Um, where the expectation can be suffocating. But I think he'll do really well at Brighton. Um, same with Dakar at Leicester, provided they both get the minutes. And um, I'd, yeah, I really do like the the, the style, the versatility that, that Mwepu has. And I think that's going to lend, lend itself quite well to the fact that that Potter can sometimes be a bit, a bit more... Um, you know, open-minded when it comes to the formations, especially in in the middle of games. So I think it's a really, really shrewd, shrewd signing. The more that I discuss it, the more that I think about it. I think, you know, this is potentially one of the the smarter additions that the Premier League club will make this summer. Um, I mean, we've waxed lyrical about him there a little bit. Would you say there are any weak spots that that you've ident- identified in his game over the past few years from watching him in Austria? Well, I knew that you'd want to talk about this, so I actually did a little bit of digging and uh, you know spoke to a few people because uh, you know if I had to pick some out of the, off the top of my head, I wouldn't really be able to. I, I wouldn't say there are any really obvious weaknesses there, but there are perhaps a few things that he could improve. Uh, his performances are generally very good, but maybe a little bit more consistency. Perhaps that's just something that comes as you you know you develop. He's, he's still a young guy, um, maybe as well. Um, you know, sometimes he does lose the ball because he, he plays riskier passes, I think, which, you know, when it when it works, it works. But he, he likes to play these vertical passes between the lines and he, he can give the ball away quite a bit, um, which is obviously something that then if you're playing against a good counter-attacking team, you can, you can end up being punished for that. Um, and perhaps as well, um, man marking maybe from set pieces but but that would really be I think doing him a bit of a, a disservice to say that they're all massive weaknesses in his game I just think that they are some elements that he could perhaps improve on and you know I'm sure he will under Potter's tutelage Yeah I read something by Simon Simon Clark obviously of the other Bundesliga one of the, the trio along with Tom Midler and, and Lee um, he, he he was I mean I think he was interviewed um, by by a newspaper about uh, Mwepu when when Brighton had originally signed him and and he did also pick out the the potentially marking at set pieces for a player who is so imposing so tall um, that that was potentially one of the weak spots but I think I, I echo what you're saying there you know it's one of those areas where 
you know, it's it, you are you are going out there to look for something because the question is being asked essentially, and I think that's a good sign because you know, apart from Messi or Yusuf Demir, perhaps there aren't many players who are absolutely perfect in every way. So yeah, I think um, a very very shrewd signing on on the whole. Next on the list of transfers in the Austrian Bundesliga, we've actually got an incoming. So we've discussed the, the departures of Patsendaka, Inokam Wepu and uh, Yusuf Demir uh, to Leicester, Brighton and Barcelona, uh, respectively. Uh, but we've actually got an incoming, which is quite interesting and very intriguing from a scouted football perspective. Um, Noah Ohio, who is a joint uh, Dutch and England youth international. Uh, I, I actually don't know off the top of my head whether he's declared for, for one or the other yet. But um, between 2018 and 2019, he played um, as a forward or as a left winger um, simultaneously for the Netherlands and the Dutch under 16, uh, the Netherlands and the English under 16 teams, which I thought was quite intriguing because I was looking down on transfer marked and there he was playing for England. And then two months later, like quite literally two months to the day later, he was playing for the Netherlands. And I thought it's very interesting, but a very Jamal Musiala of him. Um, but he's joined. Um, he has joined Austria Vienna in on, in the Austrian Bundesliga on loan uh, for the season from RB Leipzig, which is an interesting move. It's quite curious considering that obviously the the, the pathway, the, the arterial nature that that players from Leipzig and Salzburg do share. That um, he's actually gone to to Austria Vienna. Um, he was previously with Vitesse in the Netherlands, but didn't really get too much of an opportunity there. Um, you know, he initially joined them uh, on an 18-month loan at the start of this year, back in January, but that was cut short after six months. I think he only played around 60 minutes across four or five games. So that was a bit of a wasted endeavour. Um, but now coming into the Austrian Bundesliga, uh, coming to Austria-Vienna, then hopefully the, there's there's the opportunity for him to play a little bit more regularly, maybe get a bit more confidence in him as he kind of looked a little bit short of that in a few preseason friendlies that I, that I had a little perusal over before recording this. Um, but I mean, Liam, I presume you, you, you obviously will be coming into this one relatively relatively blind considering that Ohio hasn't really been a, a name on, on Austrian football uh, aficionados' radars recently. But from an Austria-Vienna perspective, you know, is he going to play more than he did at Vitesse, do you think? Well, first of all, from our perspective, it's great to have another Englishman uh, coming over here and, and playing in the league. We haven't had one for a while. Well, we've had Rennie Smith, but he's uh, he's also dual nationality and, and Austrian as well. Um, so it's good to have him in the league. As you say, I don't really know too much about him yet, but to put, it, to put Austria-Vienna's situation into a bit of context, this is... One of the biggest clubs in Austria, they are the record cup champions by a long way. They've won a lot of titles, but over the past few years, they were the last club actually away from Salzburg to win the Bundesliga in, in 2013. And, and since then, they've really fallen quite far, especially financially. And, you know, the situation was so precarious towards the end of last season that they were initially rejected a license to play in the Bundesliga this season which was, uh, you know, an almost unthinkable scenario for such a big club with such a big fan base. And, you know, they managed to sort themselves out. They appealed and they managed to get the license. But, you know, from that point of view, they had to they had to sell uh, one of their best players, Christoph Monschein. Well, in fact, their, their best player by far, uh, a player that, that likes to, to score lots of goals and, and sort of plays all, all across the attack. And he was pivotal to Austria-Vienna the last few seasons. It seems that they are now 
you know, looking for for cheaper options. And they've brought in this young guy who, you know, may end up being a more or less like for like replacement for for Monshine and and certainly will have plenty of opportunities to play because this is a, you know, this is a, a club that's in in a very poor position and has lost a lot of its players. So I'd say in that sense, um, it, it makes sense. Perhaps he might be going there into a bit of a, a difficult situation. They probably won't win too many games this season, but yeah, it, he'll certainly get minutes of that, I'm sure. Yeah, it must be said, he's still 18 years old. So, I mean, the, the, the most important thing at the moment is not immediate success. It's it's minutes on the pitch and actually, you know, getting getting used to, to regular football, having grown into his frame properly. Um, he, he was actually, when he was born in the Netherlands, um, came over to to Manchester United at 12 and then went to Manchester City at 13. So that's how he qualified for um, f- to become sort of an England youth international. But um, I think he might end up be- end up declaring for the Netherlands, uh, given the obviously the strength that England's youth youth groups have and the, the lack of football that he's had. But he's a very, you know, he's a very talented player. And I think that having the opportunity to show that will be will be vitally important in, in sort of determining whether he does declare for the Netherlands or England. Um, and this is probably the point where someone uh, is listening to this who knows whether he's declared and is actually thinking, you know, scouted football don't know what they're on about. But yeah, Noah Ohio, uh, I'm hoping that we'll see a bit of him in the Austrian Bundesliga this season with Austria-Vienna. Um, moving away from transfers, uh, the season began last week with uh, a round of matches, one of which uh, FC Red Bull Salzburg won, um, which is not at all surprising. I'm sure you'll you'll agree with me there, Lee. Um, they beat Sturm Graz uh, 3-1. Uh, and there was two Karim Adeyemi goals and one Karim Adeyemi assist. Um, so that is probably a little bit of a precursor to what uh, will be the, the one of the long-running themes in this uh, Austrian Bundesliga season. He started up front with Benjamin Cesco, uh, who's an 18-year-old uh, striker. Uh, Adeyemi himself is only 19. Um, but... They looked extremely exciting. They've definitely been on the radar for a little, a little while. They did very well at Liefering, very well in the UEFA Youth League. And now their time has come at the at the pinnacle of, of, of their Austrian careers at, at FC Red Bull Salzburg. Yeah, it seems like they, well, I mean, to start the opening game of the season, it seems like they must be relatively high up the uh, priority list for the new coach, Matthias Jessler, who has actually worked with both of them, Shesko more than, than Adeyemi, uh, within the leafering setup. And yeah, Adeyemi had an absolute blinder. Um, Red Bull Salzburg actually went behind. There was an own goal, which was uh, awarded following the the first ever uh, decisive VAR intervention in Austrian football, because that's only been introduced this summer. So Salzburg found themselves a goal down. But then they came back and, and Adeyemi scoring two goals, the second of which was an absolutely lovely uh, left-footed half volley from outside the penalty area and, and producing a lovely, lovely cross, perfectly weighted to set up uh, Rasmus Christensen for the for the other goal. So he's had a flying start to the season um, after what was perhaps not an entirely um, plain sailing season for him last season because he, he was sort of initially in this role where he was between Liefering and Salzburg and he, he got a bit of criticism from Jesse Marsh, public criticism, which... Uh, you know, it's, it's not really something that Jesse Marsh did. So it was a bit of an outlier. Um, he, he said, he, you know, he wasn't ready and he was making the wrong decisions. But, you know, he seems to have started this season all guns blazing and he'll, he'll definitely be one to watch. And it, it just seems to me, observing Salzburg over the last few years, as if, 
you know, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, they just get younger and younger and younger all the time. You know, they've got a um, a strike partnership who between them are the same age as as one of the other club's main strikers. So it's uh, it goes to show just how just how young this Salzburg team is and, and just how good they are as well. It's beginning to remind me a little bit of um, the uh, the generation of foot and, and Diambar academies in Senegal, where they play in the top division in in the African country, and they are populated essentially by by kids. You know, they're they're, they're 17, 18, 19 year olds predominantly in those teams. Um, you know, Ismail Assar is one of those who came through the generation of foot. Uh, Sadio Mane was one. Uh, we actually got a podcast episode on that with with Ed Aaron's uh, from the Guardian. Um, but that it's beginning to remind me a little bit of that because apart from uh, Ulmer, I think you know with um, was it uh, Andre Romayo who's who's left for PSV. There's not too many uh, players over the age of sort of 27 or so now in in that team, uh, and even with Yesler, uh, he's 33 himself. So the management aren't exactly getting getting on. Um, but I mean, with with Adeyemi and Chesco, 19 and 18 respectively. Um, there's yeah, there's there's great hope. I mean, there's great hope definitely from from us at Scouted. Um, I'm I'm a huge huge fan of Adiemi. Just his ability to, I mean, he 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 crouches when he runs, and he's just he's like a little Tasmanian devil. I think sometimes, <laughs> you know, he just you know how he just kind of he'll just sprint to the to the opponent whoever's on the ball, and he'll just he'll barge them off it. And you think this kid's got some cojones on him, like he's you know he's absolutely flying into these shoulder to shoulder challenges. Um, and then of course on the counter attack, he's just an absolute demon, just a complete threat, um, and. I, one thing I noticed actually through uh, sort of the, I've, I've been doing a, a little hint to any scouted football handbook subscribers. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of watching of Karim Adiemi recently. Can't say what for, but um, I, I, t- I began to notice that that goalkeepers have started to kind of alter their starting positions. They're they're really high again when when playing against Salzburg, and there was a few a bit of that in the preseason friendlies. There was a bit of that with Sturm Graz as well, and I thought that, sh- that surely isn't the coincidence that I'm noticing this across the board um and i think this is purely speculation but i think it might be to do with the fact that adiyama is just i mean he can be a threat 70 yards from goal can't he like you know if 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 salzburg are defending a set piece from from the opposition and they get the their foot on the ball and adiyama's on the shoulder he's away you know there's no way you're going to catch him I think that's always been one of the defining characteristics of Red Bull Salzburg. They are fast. They do everything faster than the opposition. I mean, they do a lot of it better as well, but they do everything faster. And when you look at all of their team, they've got a lot of very pacey players. Um, but but Adeyemi is is another level entirely. He's like a whirlwind on the counter-attack. And I think that, that he and, and Chesco will complement each other very well because you've got you know one of those players who is you know, very happy carrying the ball, sprinting forward, very fast, very dynamic. And then you've got Shesko, who's a bit taller, a bit more physical, um, but also, you know, strong technical ability and, and speed himself. So I think they're going to be a, a real handful for defenders this season. And we saw a bit of that already against against Sturm Graz. So I, I'm really looking forward to see how they develop. And, you know, in terms of, you know, me saying that Salzburg's players just seem to get younger and younger, I often joke with Tom and Simon that they're going to be wearing nappies soon because it is just amazing how much younger Mm. they're consistently getting. 
Yeah, it, it is. It is quite incredible. Uh, but moving, pivoting away a little bit from from Red Bull Salzburg again, just before we uh, we finish this this week's episode, um, your dark horses to challenge Salzburg for the title at least some of the way this season, because we know that it might be a runaway train at some point. But who who do you who do you think might have a have a chance of of challenging them? Um, kudos if you can name one which has a bit of a youth centric focus to it. But if there isn't, then don't worry. Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll fit that in later. But but first of all, I'll tell you about just how I embarrassed myself in the other Bundesliga WhatsApp group recently by saying, you know, thinking perhaps just how young the Salzburg team is. They've got a very, very um, inexperienced coach, even compared to, to Jesse Marsh, who was, was here before. I said, I think uh, another club you know, other than Salzburg are going to win the league this season. I made a bit of a bold prediction because it's got to end sometime. They've already won eight titles in a row. And then on the opening day, Rapid Vienna went and crashed. Salzburg beat Sturm Graz. Um, So, uh, yeah, already looking very foolish after one round of matches. But I think if if there's going to be one club who rivals uh, Salzburg, again, it it would be Lask. And, you know, they've got a very good team and they play very well. Um, But consistency has been their problem over the last two years. They've had spells where, you know, they rack up win after win and then, they, they, they really slip up quite a lot over a, a long period. And you just cannot do that if you want to to get the better of Salzburg in the league. Um, but I would say Lask, um, in terms of their new signings, they've, they've probably got the biggest financial strength outside of Salzburg. And they've brought in something like 12 players this season, only two of whom uh, are over the age of 23. So uh, that is a really, you know, a, a very much a, a youth focus for them. And, and we would hope that if there is going to be a, a title race this season, then, then Lask will be in it as well. Very, very interesting then. Um, quickly, before we go and wrap up today's episode, uh, I do believe it is the other Bundesliga's third birthday today, is it not? Yeah, it certainly is. It's the three years ago today since we, we started our, our Twitter page and, and the podcast as well. Got a nice little reminder on Twitter this morning. But yeah, we were reminiscing and reflecting a little bit on on how the journey has changed because we, you know, we really started this with the, you know, with the objective of, of falling in love with the local league a bit. We thought we're here, we might as well do something and, and, and try and, and find out more about the league. And it was very much, you know, a, a podcast that you start where you've got bed sheets hanging up in 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 the room to try and you know insulate the sound mm. better a, a crappy little mic that we had that we we're all crowded around and yeah it's just it just seems to have transformed a lot we've been lucky enough to have the opportunities now to to be accredited journalists to write for the Bundesliga's magazine in English to work with some of the clubs as well and you know, to really experience some great moments I think it's coincided fortunately with a, a real renaissance for for Austrian football we've had the likes of of you know, uh, Tottenham, Liverpool, Man United over here as well at, at various times. England was supposed to be here had it not been for coronavirus and the delay to, to Euro 2020. So we've been lucky in that sense as well, but it's, it's been a great journey. And, and now we definitely have fallen in love with the league and we'd recommend anyone out there who, who doesn't know too much about it to, to check out our Twitter channel other, at Other Bundesliga because we've, we've recently compiled some information about where you can watch the league overseas, which is, has always been one of the main things that people have been asking. You know, I'm, I'm interested, but I can't find anywhere to watch it. And there are quite a lot of solutions now. So yeah, if you're interested or want to get interested in Austrian football, check us out at Other Bundesliga and you can you can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes and yeah, all the usual platforms as well. 
Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure following you guys and the work that you've done. Uh, I know for a fact, a fine fact, that I know a hell of a lot more about the Austrian Bundesliga because of the podcast, because of the Twitter account. Um, so yeah, if anybody who hasn't checked them out yet, if you're a new listener to the Scout Pod, um, then do check out the other Bundesliga because it's it you know it, it is a very fascinating league. I mean, as we've discussed in the past forty minutes or so. Um, but yeah, that's all from us today on the Scouted Pod. Um, we've discussed uh, a few a few transfers that have taken our fancy. Pats and Dakar to Leicester, Yusuf Demir to Barcelona or Barcelona B, um, Inok and Wepu to Brighton, Noah Ohio to Austria Vienna, and of course the uh, the, the the beginning of the season for for Karim Adeyemi and Benjamin Cesco at Red Bull Salzburg. But that's all from us. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, take care, stay safe. Bye for now.